not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on. everybody and welcome to the bubble hour where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery this is amanda and i am actually recording this by myself all four of us have the night off it's a holiday and typically we would play a rebroadcast of one of our earlier shows however a close friend of the bubble hour and of mine told me that she was going to be speaking at a meeting and so I asked if she would be able to record it so that we could share it with you guys. And the good news is she was able to pull it off. And um, so I'm going to share that recording with you. Uh, this is someone who inspires me very much, and I hope she will inspire you too. So um, here is the recording from Lisa Yu, and I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you had a great holiday. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Lisa. And um, what an honor to be asked to speak at this meeting. I mean, this is this is like the granddaddy of AA meetings. You know, 52 years is amazing. Um, and it was a very helpful meeting for me when I first came in those doors, and there was help waiting when I needed it. I did not grow up in a family of alcoholics. My parents immediate family. My, um, neither one of my parents are alcoholics and neither are my siblings. But as I've grown in my journey, I've come to find out that I have an extremely long lineage of um, alcoholism in my family. And um, both my grandfathers were alcoholics and one grandfather died from this disease. That's what an alcoholic looked like to me. It kept me sick for a lot of years because if somebody said, what does an alcoholic look like? It was a red nose, a big belly, a brown bag. It certainly wasn't um, a professional, a female, a mother, um, Girl Scout leader. You know, I didn't fit the bill, so how could I possibly have a problem? It was interesting, though. It, this week, I came across. I was going through some pictures, and um, you know, it, it was right after I was. It, kind of getting ready to speak at this meeting and I came across a pamphlet from 1972 that was in my grandmother's belongings that said, um, if you or a family member has a drinking problem, there's help. And I thought, wow, you know, that's a sign. I mean, so she, you know, she died when I was sober and said, you know, I'm so proud of you that you were able to get something that your grandfather couldn't get. So I'm here to carry on the message. Um, I also have the honor of, of my, my daughter being here for the first time and hearing my story. So, drinking for me, I, you know, it, it started at the rite of passage age of Alcoholics Anonymous at the junior high. Blackout, drink, and um, don't remember a lot, got sick. It didn't phase me. I didn't do it again for a long time. I had parents that were very young. They were only 18 years older than I am, and they were they were keeping a close eye. So drinking in high school really wasn't so much of a problem. I went away to college. And, um, again, it was uh, looking back, 
it was alcoholic drinking. It wasn't regular. It was, you know, for me, I have an allergy to it, to the substance. That it's not how often or how much. It's what it does to me when I put that into my body. And um, for a lot of years, I didn't have so much of a drinking problem. I had a stopping problem. Um, so, you know, and that, that that really was it. It wasn't, it, I, when I drank, I drank to excess. But I didn't drink often. I was an overachiever. Um, made sure, and I think a lot of that, I kind of kept checking things. As long as I was doing really good in school, I must not have a problem. I used to, I remember um, early back reflecting about looking for, you know, not, the end of the night was fuzzy for me, but so I kind of have these conversations, like, and, and luckily, at, you know, in my 20s, um, I didn't get myself in any trouble, but I certainly put myself in dangerous situations. So I graduated from college. I, you know, I went to a party school. I kind of cross-referenced, you know, what I wanted to do in life with on the top ten party school lists. I mean, so maybe that's a problem. That's kind of an indicator. And I came out here, and um, I met who became my um, my husband, and he was my drinking partner. We had a lot of fun, and you know, and, and drinking was not a problem for me. It hadn't become a regular problem for me. But even then, he used to say, you know, why don't you try, you know, why don't you try having a glass of water every other time? I mean, so, you know, the fact that I didn't even notice back then that I had to kind of do things to monitor my drinking shows that I had a problem back then. But <clears throat> my career took off. Um, and, you know, I'm in a male-dominated industry. Um, drinking was an equalizer. You know, I could drink like the boys, and so therefore I got their respect. It didn't look like, um, you know, the male executive. Absolutely um, no, you know, moral judgment over a person who continued, because I can tell you 20 years down the road if I was pregnant, there was no choice in drinking or not for me. But um, for me at that time, it was, you know, I could go years even. I mean, a couple of years I was pregnant and just didn't drink. So I didn't consider it to be a problem. So my career took off. I ended up, um, you know, the person who I married, we were not the right fit. And um, he's a great dad. And, you know, and he's a good person to partner with in raising our children together. But, you know, when we met, we were kind of here. I was looking at here, and I remember saying to him, you know, I want to be CEO of a company, and I want to have 10 kids. And um, I meant it figuratively. He took it literally, you know. So um, I was the breadwinner. I was, you know, all these different things I, I, I looked at, you know, I felt uncomfortable in my own skin. But as long as everybody saw that I had my act together, I was okay. And so we got divorced. And that was really when my drinking took off for me. Um, what I did not expect, because I was doing it all, was that he was equally going to want custody of the children. And um, I, had, I was either working or I was alone in certain times. And so when I was alone, I would kind of sit there and I would take that time and I would have this chalice of wine, um, you know, the wine glasses that hold half a bottle. So therefore, I only had two glasses of wine. Right? Um, so, you know, even that, well, I only had two glasses, so I must not have a problem. So, but, but that was, I was very uncomfortable in this empty house. Um, and, you know, and then... So it was a slow progression, but when I crossed that line, um, with that, you know, part of my story is multiple OUIs. 
An OUI can happen to any one person, one, ten. Uh, multiple ones, you likely have a, a, an issue. So the first one, golf tournament, um, you know, I had golf cleats on. It was 9 o'clock at night. You know, so that was hard to explain. The tournament started at 10, so I had some time to account for there. But, um, you know, I kind of looked at that as to chalk that one up to bad luck. Um, so if you, you know, but I said, look, I've got this great position. I'm doing well. And, you know, I'm, um, and so a few years later, I, um, you know, this was, it was, it was a turning point is, is my daughter got sick and her, um, and she almost died. And her appendix ruptured. She was misdiagnosed, and she spent weeks in the hospital. And um, and she's fine today. But I looked at that point of um, the poor me. Look at oh, what happened to me. I mean, not, look what happened to my family. I almost lost a child. So I was, my drinking just took right off. And in within six weeks of her getting out of the hospital, I had a second OUI eight houses away from my house and I look at that and that is absolutely that saved my life and it, it saved my life um, probably <clears throat> saved the life of another family that um, down the road if you know if I was lucky it would have just taken my life but I would have taken an entire family out it wasn't my fault um, my car was hit I wasn't cited for the accident and I was actually on my way home to drink the way I wanted to drink um, I had 10 months that I had to wait for my court date because my attorney was in a murder trial. You know, it never crossed my mind. Like, this is where my life had taken me, that I am in the position that I'm needing representation from somebody who is in a murder trial. You know, and, and during that time, those lines crossed. I mean, I, you know, I, I couldn't get to work. It was a, it was a bad time in the economy. Um, you know, I, I gave away my job. Um, I gave away my license. I gave away my house. Um, I almost gave away my family. And, um, you know, there was a quote from Robin Williams that used to say that, you know, my actions were, in su were happening in such a fashion that I just didn't even have time to lower my standards quick enough. And that was happening to me. I had all sorts of those. Well, I don't drink in the morning. I, I'm never going to drink in the morning. I was drinking in the morning. Um, I was hitting a point that I had passed emotional addiction, um, and I was physically addicted to alcohol. If <clears throat> I needed, I, I would start withdrawing. Um, I was on three different blood pressure medications. I The next stop for me at the end was death, and um, and I came close to it. My liver enzymes were elevated. Oh, you know, it was, it, I, I really, I, I, I didn't want to die, um, but I didn't really care if I lived. And at that point, my children were um, saying, choosing to stay at their dad's more than often. But this is the irony of this, because it's a, it's a factor in my story. Is I, You know, at the end of my drinking, I was making sure that I was hanging around with people that justified my drinking. They were drinking just like me. But that group was becoming smaller and smaller because I was getting worse. So there was this one girl that I was close to that um, she had gotten into some legal trouble, and it was um, after I had lost my job, after I had lost my license, all these different things. But I said, you know what, she has a problem. 
we need, she needs help. So I arranged for, um, she had a friend that, you know, had gotten sober, and I said, you know, I know Ellie. I'm going to give Ellie a call, and we need to get Amanda some help. So I called Ellie. We arranged for an intervention. Um, it was the easiest intervention I've ever been a part of because she opened the front door and said, fine, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and she's been sober since. And so, you know, it, it, and I watched her. She grabbed onto AA like no one's business. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm happy for it, but I can tell you who I don't want to be, and that's her. You know, she's like the mayor of AA. And uh, <clears throat> so eight months later, and so during that time, my children had heard about, you know, they knew my friend who had, had done so well, and they saw their mom um, deteriorating. And they went to their dad, and they said, you know, we want our mom back. And, um, and that's what got his attention. So he contacted that friend who contacted my entire family in Chicago, and they and arrived at my door eight months to the day, and... Um, and you know, I saw them all pull up, and I mean, my parents didn't even like each other. They had been divorced for years, and the two of them got out of the car. I went, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, but I remember, and I, you know, and this is a part of my story, I remember thinking to myself, thank you, is that um, I kind of equate that time when I noticed that people were coming in is it was like I, at that point in my life, I had fallen through a pond like of ice, and I could see where I fell in, and I really wanted to get my breath, and I wanted to get help, but I didn't know how. And, um, and you know, them showing up and, and being there that day was like that hand reaching into that water and pulling me up so I could finally breathe. And um, it, was just like the, it was just like you see in the reality show, minus the cameras. Um, every family member, including my children, had, had you know, come up with a prepared statement and said, you know, these are the consequences if, um, if you don't get help and we will not be a part of your life. So I had um, accepted that help. I was fortunate enough to get into a 28-day program um, down in the Cape. And I, this was the same place that eight months previously that we had taken that other friend of mine. So it was my turn. I went down there. And... Um, it was Easter Sunday, and um, that friend of mine, as well as my brother who came in from Chicago, dropped me off at the detox down in Falmouth. And before we walked in those front doors, um, my friend handed me a coin, and it had the serenity prayer on it. And she said that, you know, that um, Ellie gave this to me right at the same spot, and, and you know, that, and it's helped me, and I've carried it with me every day since. And now it's your turn. And I took that, and um, I held on. And so I went from the detox to a 28-day program. I was like the valedictorian. I was walking around with a clipboard. I mean, I was like, you know, the welcoming committee. I, uh, you know, in fact, you know, there was this one guy who had tattoos all over his neck and all over his arms, and I thought, look at that poor soul. Nobody's going to talk to him. So I walked right up to him and said, hi, I'm Lisa, you know. The food's really good here, you know, and he goes, yeah, I work here. <laughs> oh, sorry, you know. Um, you know, so, so <clears throat> I went on to, to live in a transitional living environment, 
And it was a sober house for women. Now, what I had in front of me when I came back was a two-week program um, that was court-mandated with the state of Massachusetts. And everybody had said, you know, I kept saying, you know, how, how well is it bad? And they're like, no, it's not that bad. I forgot to ask them compared to what? Compared to jail, it wasn't bad. Compared to the program I had just been in, it was. Because I was in there with 50 people. There were two of us that were all multiple offenders, but there were two of us that were actually recognized we had a problem. The rest of us all just had bad luck. So, I mean, so that did not, you know, I had a rocky foundation to begin with, so that was not exactly the helpful, helpful path. So I got out of that program. Um, I came home, you know, and as I was doing it, and I, I was going to AA, I was, you know, I was feeling out of sorts. I was looking at that as, well, all right, I went to school to learn how to, you know, to stop this drinking thing. I graduated, so I'm all set. Well, you can see where that story might lead to. Um, you know, what, what did I do? I picked up. Um, you know, that, that ex-husband of mine had said something to me, and I, it's not his fault. I gave him this power. Is he said to me in front of my children, you know, you chose booze over these kids, and we'll never forgive you. And um, I was off. I mean, I, you know, I had a good case of, well, then what's the use? I mean, yeah, the reality is, is I gave him that power. I gave him that way. There is no person, place, or thing that has that power over me today. As long as I take care of um, my mental health and work my program strong, there's no reason to drink. There's somebody in this room today that lost their, that I had helped, that's been a good friend of mine for 20 years, that, um, lost his mother today and he's in he's here at a meeting and you know so there is nothing that is worth drinking over well I quickly got back on on the horse and I looked at that friend of mine Amanda and said you know whatever she's doing it's working so I put myself in her back pocket and um, there are other people in this room who gave me rides to meetings and you know and you know I listened to the suggestions people had said do 90 and 90 and being you know the overachiever that I am, I said, okay, I'm going to do 290, and I pretty much did. And, um, you know, so, over, it, and that was without a license. And, you know, there were people, too, you know, there was one point in my life that I used to get a, a new car every two years because I could. Um, now I gave away that ability to drive a car. So I would ride my bike if I had to, any weather, no matter what I had to do. You know, I rode my bike to stop and shop because I had kids I needed to feed. I fought for this. I was willing to do whatever it took. So here I was in that odd space, though, of, you know, now what am I going to do with my life? Um, I can't go back to that place of the, where I was at, where I was with the executives, you know, I, I, golfing, drinking. I mean, it was, you know, so much of my life was was about negotiating contracts at martini bars. And so I thought, well, in the meantime, I had been doing some work with um, with these other ladies that we helped. And we formed a nonprofit organization that um, was offered some online resources for people who hadn't quite yet made it into these halls. And we talked about 12-step meetings. And we did, you know, there were three different so you could find it on the computer. You could listen to podcasts. Um, and it helped get people in the door. And, you know, and it was geared towards helping women because it's not harder being a woman and getting sober. It's different. And um, 
you know, so so that CEO of that um, organization that helped had helped all three of us said, we've heard about these three women. You know, come on down and tell us what you're doing. So we told our story. And he said, you know, you got something pretty cool, and I, we would really like you to be a partner organization to ours. And so I thought, wow, that's really, that's quite an honor. So um, I, I still do that. And, you know, what I have learned in this whole thing is, you know, it started out with alcohol. But it didn't, and, and that's where, you know, I didn't have a problem. But I, what I came to realize is that the disease of addiction, it's the, it just doesn't matter what the substance is. I went through treatment with all sorts of people. I paid attention to the 20-year-old's opiate um, addicts because I had children. I needed to pay attention to learn about that thing. But what I learned is, is that this is a fear-based disease. And the substance is what it is. It, it, it's universal, I'm going to call it. I'm addicted to more, is what it boils down to. Just as what alcohol is what took me down. So that same organization approached me and said, we'd like to give you some training. Um, with, you know, and I became a nationally certified recovery coach. Um, I, I work also in intervention. And then also this same organization started a prevention department, and I thought, that is cool. You know, this is, I mean, that's what we need to do. We need to start, get, you know, start with this. Start educating our youth that even if you have a genetic disposition, um, just by waiting until your brain is fully developed, you decrease your chances immensely of becoming an alcoholic or an addict. So I'm proud to say today I work with my daughter in prevention. Um, you know, so, so I worked, so remember, if I remember my story of that guy that I welcomed that worked there, that had the tattoos all over. Um, he became my colleague, and, and I um, began working with the Young Opiate um, Program down at the Cape. So I was commuting back and forth to Falmouth. That's a long commute. And so I knew that that wasn't sustainable, but it kind of put me on my journey to say, you know, well, what do I want to do? And I, you know, I, I do feel like, you know, my specialty, I can work with young opiates, and, and, and I realize that there is such a problem with that, and there's so many people that need help. But there is a part of me that um, says, you know, where I, my fit is, is with the professionals to say, you know, a, you have to learn how to live life. It's not just about putting down the drink. You don't graduate. Every single day I wake up an untreated alcoholic and I have a responsibility to treat my disease so that I get one more day. I can never be too busy for it, ever. And that is um, sort of something where I start, you know, that, that was where I was focusing my career in, was, was in interventions and in professional recovery coaching. And a position came up in my old industry. And it was um, on the owner's side. And they said, we're looking for a, a person from the private sector to, uh, to start a department of um, 25 people and oversee it. It happens to be design and construction. So, um, so that's kind of male-dominated. Dominated. And so I, I, you know, I went through, was interviewed by 16 people. Overwhelming. And then they said, okay, we'd like to offer you the job. Now, the one thing is, is one of our clients is actually, um, you know, is like Homeland Security and stuff, so we have to do a background check that, you know, but yeah, I'm sure you're fine. I left and I went, oh, no. This is it. This is it. You know, extensive background check. So I thought, well, 
you know, I gotta, I gotta practice what I have been teaching others, and it's to, to face my fears. So I went in, and I said, I've got, you know, right, as, as my background check was being conducted, and said, I have a story to tell you. And I talked about um, being what I've been doing for the past couple of years and becoming certified as a coach and, be, you know, and starting a nonprofit organization and doing work with a, a coalition that works with, you know, with alcohol and, and drug abuse education. And, um, and I said, you know, and I ended. So I told my recovery story. I ended with, but what, you know, led to that was um, I do have a couple of OUIs and, um, and I, you know, there was that, that silence, and I thought, and they said, well, what we just heard is that you've actually got some pretty extensive training and mentoring and helping people, and we're asking you to develop a department that's going to involve mentoring and coaching. So you know what? You are more valuable right now than you were 10 minutes beforehand. <laughs> so that is the promises. That is the gifts. But I can promise you this, that, you know, I've heard the saying that says, don't let the things that AA brought you take you out. So I will absolutely not forget what my foundation is. I put my recovery first. If I don't have my recovery, everything else goes away. But what is important to me, and as far as, you know, and I respect, I, I've, AA is, keeps me sober. And um, I work a solid program with that. I go to an awful lot of meetings. Um, I'm finally in a position that I can help others where I have required so much help in the beginning. I'm open in recovery. That's my personal choice. Um, had to be, really, when it came down to it at work. But, you know, it, it's been something I'm not ashamed of. Um, you know, my daughter's proud of who I am today. You know, in, 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 our, in the work that we do in prevention, um, She's proud that, that her mother is in recovery. So that kind of, you know, so, you know, so you've heard a little bit that, you know, I, I still maintain all the work that I do is, is volunteer-based. And so through my nonprofit organization, not only with that one particular treatment center, I have um, developed a relationship with national, uh, national base of, of treatment centers. And that has been the problem, is that people who want help aren't able to get it. So, um, so you know that that's really where your, my service work comes in. That um, whether it be alcohol or drugs, that you know that you have a place to go. So, um, so I'm happy. You know, I I love hearing from people when they say, "Hey, we know somebody. Can you help?" Yes, yes. <laughs> Helping others keeps you know keeps me sober today. And um, it was all the help of all of you that, uh, and you know, I know there's a lot, every time I keep looking around this room, I'm like, oh boy, that one saw me the first week I came in here. And it, you know, and, and, and what a great thing that, you know, that the gift of recovery and that, you know, I, I can dial up the telephone at two o'clock in the morning and there are from 10 people and I could get that help. I can promise you that there were not 10 people at the end of my drinking that I could call at any time of the day that were in any condition to offer any help. So, you know, I never liked that. I couldn't understand when people would say, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic, and I'd go, oh, really? You know, I get that today. I am grateful for, and I am proud of my journey because, you know, I am, you know, not only did my children get their mother back, um, they got, you know, I, I like to think, you know, they got a person that is now, you know, compassionate. That, you know, every day I wake up and I, I ask God, you know, please present me with the opportunity to help another alcoholic. 
And I talked, you know, it was I, I talked to five or six alcoholics on a daily basis. It's um, I do not take today for granted because I, I because I have seen it far too often. I do not want to pick up a twenty four hour trip, and I know that even you know in forty years from now, that I'm eligible for that. So I need to make sure that I put my recovery first and foremost. And in the meantime, I'd like to help all of you with yours. So thank you. Thank you.